Hello and welcome to another edition of Back Nine Report. We are saddened by the fact that our normal MC and host, Carlos Torres, has a family issue to deal with tonight and can't be with us, but we're very happy to welcome in our good friend from across the pond, Kieran Clark. Kieran, great to have you back with us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, and it's my first appearance on the Back Nine Report in 2020 in this new decade, in this new great era for us all. So it's uh, very exciting to be here, and obviously a very interesting week, obviously having the Players' Championship coming up from TBC Sawgrass, always a highlight on the calendar. Really, the, the golf season, the big golf season, really kicks off from here. The, the build-up to the Masters begins here at Sawgrass, and uh, there's so many compelling storylines coming into the event itself. And, of course, Fred, as we'll discuss later on in the show, there are many other fascinating and you know, potentially very interesting topics uh, that are emerging around the game outside of the Players' Championship. It's a very interesting time for golf and sport and really the world, and uh, there's an awful lot to digest this evening. You know, you're exactly right. And before we dive into it, this coronavirus uh, thing has really become more and more of an issue worldwide, especially here in the United States. Um, We want to take just a minute to talk about it a little bit because uh, we've already seen it affect tournaments. The LPGA had to cancel three tournaments on the Asian swing. Uh, We've seen uh, tournaments in China canceled and moved. Uh, we've seen two players on the European tour that almost didn't get to tee it up on Thursday because they were in quarantine. Um, and we're talking about maybe canceling more tournaments. We're talking about maybe moving the players championship from San Francisco. I mean, the uh, PGA championship from San Francisco over to Florida to the TPC Sawgrass, Santa Clara, that area has banned all mass gatherings. Uh, the Ivy League today announced that they will not allow fans. Uh, they're, they're not going to hold their their season-ending basketball tournament. They're just going to make their their uh, regular season winner their uh, their representative in the NCAA tournament. Um, here in Ohio, the governor has uh, requested no mass gatherings, and so the Ohio High School Athletic Association is trying to decide what they're going to do with their girls and boys high school championships that are going on right now. Um, it, it's, it, this has really become a big issue here. What are you seeing in Scotland and Europe? What's, what's going on? Well, I think you know, the, the U.S. is slightly behind us in terms of the outbreak. Uh, obviously, it began in Asia and China and spread to South Korea, and eventually it came over to Europe, and it's been a massive issue, particularly in Central Europe, Italy. The entire country of Italy is essentially locked down. 60 million people are basically being told to self-isolate at their homes. All sporting events are off until April in Italy in their entirety. You know, mass gatherings, everything else, that's all banned. Uh, for the time being, for the foreseeable future, really. And similar measures are slowly being integrated in other European countries like France and Germany and Spain. We're seeing sporting events there being cancelled or moved or postponed or being played behind closed doors with no fans whatsoever. Uh, The UK hasn't yet gone that far, uh, but it seems inevitable that that's going to happen because we now have, I believe, at the time of speaking to you now, 382 cases confirmed of coronavirus in the UK, including around 30 in Scotland. Uh, There have been deaths from this, uh, but it is going to escalate, and uh, I think all 
all signs are that inevitably in the next week or two there will be literally thousands of people in this country, in the UK, who will have the coronavirus, and certainly in the US. I mean, they're looking at it now. I mean, as we're talking in, in, in New York, in New Rochelle, they sent in the, um, the National Guard uh, to try and contain an outbreak in this community. Um, so it's going to be a huge issue um, going forward over the next few weeks. It's constantly developing an emerging story. There will be twists along the way, and it's something that you know, people have to take responsibility. You know, yes, we don't want our, our major events or of any kind being impacted by this, but ultimately it's people's lives that are in danger because you know, while the vast majority of people who contract this virus will ultimately recover from it, there's a very real chance that you could pass it on to somebody else who unfortunately might not be as lucky as you, someone who's older or has underlying health conditions. And certainly when we have a golf tournament where there's literally tens of thousands of people in a, a small area, where even though it's outdoors, you're going to be standing next to people touching the same surfaces as them. It's a potential you know, breeding ground for a mass infection outbreak. And obviously we're building towards the Masters in only four weeks' time. Uh, I mean, there's been talk, there's been rumours of that potentially being played behind with no patrons whatsoever. Uh, again, that's something that we'll have to wait and see how it develops. But right now, I, none of us can really predict how this is going to go, only that it's going to impact us all in some way, our own daily routines, public events, and it will certainly impact sporting events and certainly golf tournaments. Uh, so it's something that, again, we'll keep an eye on. It will change by day. The PGA Tour spoke about that today. Jay Monahan spoke about how... It's a day-by-day -day situation. The Players' Championship will go ahead as scheduled. The fans will be there. They've brought in precautions for hand-washing, etc. Uh, but events beyond that, I mean, who knows what can happen, Fred, over the next few weeks. But it's a, it's a major story that goes beyond golf, and, uh, but it will certainly impact uh, golf as we know it over the next few weeks. Yeah, sitting out here in Toledo, Ohio, it's, you know, it's almost like a lot of to do about nothing. Um, you know, so it's kind of a strong flu and, you know, okay, let's go on with our lives. But these are issues that are much, much bigger than uh, you and me. And, and uh, we have to yeah. trust our elected officials and those people in charge to make the right decisions and the right calls and, and uh, do the right thing and just uh, abide by those. And uh, life goes on, I guess. So this is kind of the nightmare scenario for the world in general. Uh, hopefully, uh, in the long run, it draws everybody together and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. to defeat this common, uh, this common enemy of everyone. And so, uh, yeah. hopefully in the long run, it'll all work out for the best, but, uh, it does, it is creating some issues and some problems, especially for, uh, sporting events and, and where you need to get together in a group and, um, just, just be careful, take, take precautions and, and do what you need to do. But let's move on from that. Uh, we, um, you know, Karen, we were treated to an outstanding field at the Genesis Championship last month. It was almost like a major championship. And now pretty much every one of the top players in the world not named Tiger Woods will be playing this weekend at TPC Sawgrass, which never fails to provide chills and spills and, you know, to whet every golfer's appetite. So the main storylines we're going to talk about tonight, some of the things are the LPGA and the PGA Tour of new TV deals through 2030. Tyrell Hatton, your guy from Europe, won at Windy Bay Hill. Ernie Els won on the Champions Tour. Plus, it just doesn't get any better. 
as we have Kieran here with us to preview the first major of the year. That's right, I said the first major of the year, the players. Ooh, but before, before we get Fred, to that, goodness. I want to let our listeners know about a giveaway we're currently offering. We want to remind everyone out there to enter to win a trip to French Lick Resort in South in southern Indiana. It's a joy for the whole family, but especially for golfers. The drawing is for two nights, lodging at the French Lick Springs Hotel and Casino, plus a round of golf for two at the historic Donald Ross course of French Lick, which opened in 1917. It is a true gem. I love playing it. Mm. The Ross course over for play in 17, so it's easy to enter. Simply visit ohiogolfjournal.com, ohiogolfjournal.com. Click on the link just below the headline pictures at the top of the page. Enter your contact information, and you will be entered to win this outstanding trip to one of the best golf resorts in the country. Remember, OhioGolfJournal.com. Just click on the Register Now button right below Jack Nicholas's wonderful picture. So let's start off tonight with our backspin, as we always do every week. Uh, we're going to kind of rush through those kind of briefly tonight, Kieran. Um, yep. Kind of the main storylines for the um, Arnold Palmer Invitational um, Molinari had to withdraw with back issues. Tommy Fleetwood missed his first cut in 48 worldwide events. Um, Colin Morikawa also missed a cut, and he'd been on a little streak. Um, Justin Rose missed another cut. Um, and then and Rose also changed, the, changed his sticks. He dropped on them. He's playing back with the mm-hmm. TaylorMades again. The scoring was not that low, however. Um, you know, Bay Hill is, is uh, kind of a course where you just have to hit some spots and stay out of trouble. If you get in trouble, it's very difficult to make, to make par. And double bogey comes into play very quickly. Rory found that out. Uh, only one round in the 60s on Sunday. Matt Fitzpatrick uh, had a 69. Uh, it was a tough day. It was really windy. But all in all, Europe's Tyrell Hatton got his first win in the U.S. He had a couple of outbursts early in the round, you know, probably had a couple of fines subtracted from his big check, but he made it through. He, he gets a little excited at times. Uh, I want to talk just a minute about Rory, who kind of went high on Sunday. He still got another top ten. Matter of fact, he got a top five. Uh, what is it with Rory and par fives this year? He made a double um, at the par five uh, sixth hole, made another double on nine, um, he was in the hunt to win the tournament, shoots 40 on the front, boom, he's done. But he ended up T5. So um, this does, however, give him eight consecutive top fives and 21 in his last 26 starts, getting clear back to the fall of 2018. He is on a very consistent roll right now and has to be the favorite to win every time he tees it up. You know, Kieran, I really think Kepka's comments uh, last fall or, you know, before the end of the year there, about Rory not really being a threat in the majors has stirred mm. Rory up a little bit, and he's kind of on a mission. Yeah, I mean, he's been on the mission, really, for the past year and a half, as you mentioned there, Fred, about his incredible consistency. And you you look at the stats, you look at the numbers, the scoring, uh, the week-to-week consistency, even his playing stats, his strokes gain stats over more or less every category, he is essentially playing the best golf of his career. And that's quite a big statement considering what he has done over the past 12, 13 years as a professional. 
Um, I mean, the way he's been playing every week is, is remarkable. Yes, he hasn't necessarily converted that into the number of wins that perhaps the opportunities would present themselves. He actually spoke about that today at Sawgrass, where he's had so many top fives, and he categorised it himself as sometimes you have a good top five or a bad top five. And I think Bay Hill was a disappointing top five, where it could have been better, it should have been better in his mind. But that said, as you said, Fred, I mean, that course was unrelentingly brutal and it was amazing to watch because it's really the antithesis of what we see so often week to week on the PGA Tour and really in any tour where you know multiple you know 15 20 under par wins most weeks this was a major championship test in a regular event and it just shows you how extremely firm greens with high winds uh, how that just messes with these players and we saw it Obviously, we see it every year, really, at the Honda Classic, now at Bay Hill. And we might even see it again at the Players' Championship. I mean, the Florida swing is just eating these guys' lunch. It's just incredible. But some of the numbers were astonishing. I mean, Tyrrell Hatton, who, of course, won the event, he shot 73 and 74 in the last two rounds. I mean, when have you ever seen a guy shoot two yeah. over-par rounds in the weekend and win a PGA Tour event? Well, I've got the answer for you, Fred. And the last player to do that, to shoot two over-par rounds of the weekend and win, was actually Jeff Ogilvy at the 06 U.S. Open at Winged Foot. Yeah, that was a I was going to say a U.S. Open right somewhere. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, that just underlines it. I mean, you mentioned Matt Fitzpatrick, the only player to break 70 in the weekend on Saturday. Max Homer was the only player to shoot under par, you know, at all. Uh, With a shame. Saturday's scoring average was 75.91. So I say that the, the firm greens and high winds, it made for carnage. And, you know, it was funny because Arnold Palmer always wanted, I think, his his event, his golf course, to be like a major, have that major test. And finally, it's, it happened. I mean, it really did. And it was uh, incredible. I mean, I'm not sure I'd want to see this every week, this kind of setup and this kind of challenge for these players. But I think every every now and again, it was fun to watch these guys examined and tested in a way that they aren't normally done so. And I think that made for a fascinating viewing. It was quite nervous. I mean, I was almost nervous for these guys standing on tees watching them play. It was just like, my goodness. Um, but it was it was compelling. And, I mean, Tyrrell Hatton, who you've mentioned there, Fred, I mean, he's a guy who so often is criticized for his temperament, for being angry, for losing his composure. And he, He's the kind of guy you would think would completely blow up in conditions like this, and I thought he was going to when he made that double bogey on 11. Uh, where he took the driver and went straight in the water, then was a bit unlucky with his next shot and then made double. But he, credit to him, held on from there to win. And as you say, his first PGA Tour win, he's a guy that we kind of forgotten a little bit about over the past year because he had injury problems at the end of last year. He was on a lot of painkillers, had a wrist problem. He had surgery on the wrist just after the end of the European Tour season uh, back in November. Um, so he's kind of playing catch-up. Uh, but to get a win in America is obviously a huge boost, huge thing. Obviously, in the world of Paul Azinger, it's the only thing that matters. Well, now Terrell's got that. <laughs> he's got a PGA Tour win alongside his European Tour wins, of course. And I was there to see him win the Dunhill Links twice in 2016 and 2017. And he also won two Rolex events in the years after that. So he's a very good player. You know, Temperamentally, appears to be a little bit fiery, but I think he actually has learned to channel that anger in the right way. And the funny thing is, he's actually a very nice guy off the golf course, but just on the golf course, he can get a little bit intense. But uh, I think he will carry on from here. 
and uh, it could be the beginning of uh, quite a, you know, a really special season for him in the US. But yeah, you know, Rory obviously continues to play well every week. He is certainly the favourite at Sawgrass coming into this. But uh, I think the winner, Fred, really from last week, the Arnold Power Invitational was Bay Hill won. I mean, it won yeah. hands down. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Um, I, uh, you know, we've been talking about distance so much and, um, you know, it, it just shows again, you know, the conditions and firm greens. those greens are really firm. They were really hard, um, really make a difference in scoring. And so maybe it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't need to be about the club or about the ball. It's maybe about course setup and, and conditions. So, um, Karen, we had a tournament uh, on the European Tour last weekend in Qatar, the Qatar Masters. Jorge uh, Campillo defeated David Drysdale in a uh, five-hole playoff. After blowing a two-shot lead, he made double bogey on the 17th hole uh, to get back tied, and they had to go to the playoff, and they made two birdies, and they made two pars, and and then they – uh, Campillo rolled in a birdie on the final playoff hole to uh, to seal the deal. Uh, any comments on the uh, European Tour uh, Qatar Masters? Yeah, I mean it was it was a fascinating dynamic in that playoff because you had Jorge Campillo who last year he had to wait 229 events to actually win the tournament, which he did last year at the uh, Trophy Hassandu. And then on the other hand, you had David Drysdale, the veteran Scott, who was playing in his 498th European Tour event without victory. So two guys who had played an awful lot of golf in their time, and they've done an awful lot of losing, the two of them. But Jorge recently won, and I mean, it was, a, it, was a, it was an incredible playoff because that 18th hole, I think there were only three birdies from the entire field on Sunday, and those two guys were trading birdies in that playoff. And yeah. David Drysdale did virtually nothing wrong. I mean, he was making birdies courtesy of some fantastic ball striking, great iron play, whereas Jorge Campillo was holding putts from everywhere. I mean, he, he holed more, putt, more feet of putts in that playoff than some guys do in an entire week. It was unbelievable. So you had the feel for Drysdale, who's still looking for that first win, but, I mean, he did nothing wrong. It just He was just extremely unlucky. But it's amazing how for Campillo, a guy who had played you know, years and years in the Tour, had never won, picked up his first win last year, and then he's won another one. I mean, it's incredible how that's just turned his career around. Uh, but, no, it was it was great to watch because I mean, it was two guys going head-to-head, great, played in great spirit, uh, amazing quality under the pressure from both of them. Uh, but you have to feel some sympathy for Drysdale. So that was a 498 events without a win. That was his fourth runner-up finish in the European Tour. And in terms of the players who have more, there aren't very many players actually had more appearances about winning. Uh, Englishman Malcolm McKenzie, he won the uh, the Open de France back in 2002, and that was during his 20th season on the tour and his 509th appearance, and that remains the record. So, you know, if someone breaks that, then I sincerely hope it's David Drysdale because he's uh, he's knocked on that door several times, none more so. Than a, in, in Qatar at the weekend, but uh, Jorge Campillo, I mean, some amazing putting, and uh, for that it was a, a magical victory, and one that, as you say, Fred, he very nearly threw away, but uh, thanks to the magic of the flat stick, he was able to grasp it back. Kieran, I got a question for you. Uh, does the European Tour have a retirement plan like the PGA Tour has, uh, where the player makes so many cuts? and then he's vested into the plan, and it 
it really plays pays quite well uh, in their retirement. Uh, and you don't really have to be a winner. You just have to keep staying inside the top 125 for about 15, 20 years, and, and uh, you'll make enough cuts to, uh, you know, to, to get a pretty nice retirement package. Does the European Tour have that as well? Not as far as I know. I don't believe so. Um, but you're right. I mean, someone like David Drysdale, I mean, he, he, he was in the PGA Tour, and he had the results that he has had over many years. One, he would have earned probably about $20 million. I mean, there's guys in the also remember Tim Clark, who until he won the Players' Championship back in the day, he had earned $20 million on the Tour just by being a very consistent player. Uh, so I don't believe the European Tour has that policy in place. But um, certainly, I mean, uh, again, that's perhaps one reason, another reason why the PGA Tour is such an attractive draw for these players because they do look after their players so well uh, through, throughout their entirety of their career, whereas in the European Tour is perhaps a little bit more of a, a dog-eat-dog sort of environment where if you're not playing well and, you, and there's no real backup as such, you have to go out there and continue playing well consistently year on year, otherwise the money will dry up. So, no, I don't believe the European Tour has a similar policy to the one uh, in America. There was a tournament on the Champions Tour. They were in California. The old guys were in California for the Hogue Classic. Ernie Els, there's a name we haven't heard much out of lately, except for being the captain of the uh, International President's Cup team. Ernie got his first win on the Champions Tour last weekend. So I got a question for you, uh, Kieran. You think this will open the floodgates for Ernie on the Champions Tour? You think, uh, you know, we, we've been seeing Bernhard Langer dominate over there. Do you think that maybe uh, it's now Ernie's time and, and Bernhard's going to get pushed to the curb? Well, I think both of those things, I mean, are not necessarily exclusive. I think Ernie Els will push on from here, uh, but it would be very dangerous to underestimate Bernhard Langer, who remains evergreen and continues to have remarkable success. You know, obviously now into his sixties. But you know, for Ernie, you're right there. We haven't heard much from him uh, for a few years now on the golf course. But the thing is, I mean, he hadn't stopped playing. I mean, Ernie played an awful lot of golf on the PGA Tour and the European Tour over the past few years. I mean, he was playing essentially a full schedule, but with very little success. I mean, he was making maybe cuts in not even half of the events, no top tens, wasn't really achieving very much. And I think that must have ground him down. I mean, Ernie Els is a very proud man, obviously an incredible golfer, one of the truly great international players, someone who I think we almost forget how good he actually was for a long time, you know, winning two U.S. Opens and two Opens, uh, you know, for a long time, he was seen as being the next big thing until Tiger came along. I remember back in the day, you know, Jack Nicholas looked at Ernie Els and thought, that's the guy. He's going to be the guy to dominate. But then Tiger turned up and you know, took Ernie Els' spotlight. Uh, but I think Ernie would have been ground in a little bit by the struggle on the regular tour. Coming here, winning, that breeds confidence. We saw it with Ratif Gerson last year, making his debut on the Champions Tour, having victories and pushing on from there. I think Ernie will have a very good year on the Champions Tour. And I think it's interesting where I think the confidence he's gained from this, I suspect the events he does play on the regular tour, I'm sure he'll play in the Open Championship this year, probably a few others, he'll probably play better in those now than what he has been because he has this confidence that he'll gain from playing well, shooting low scores, from winning. It will remind him of who he used to be, which was a winning machine. So I expect him to be absolutely rejuvenated by this. 
and to kick on for more victories uh, this year on the Champions Tour. Uh, but elsewhere, looking at that leaderboard, Fred, I mean, there were some interesting names there. You had Robert Carlson, who is also a, a new player on the Champions Tour, former European number one. Uh, he finished second alongside Glenn Day and Fred Couples. You know, Freddie's still playing some very good golf, showing his class at 60. Um, so, I mean, there's still, the older guys are still, the older guys among the older guys are still, you know, doing their thing. I mean, obviously, Ernie, uh, Ernie Els is now third in the Charles Schwab money list, but that man, Langer, he's still number one. So, uh, he's, he remains the man to beat. Maybe not week to week like he once was, but when it comes to the big events, I mean, Langer's still a major threat, but I rather suspect that Ernie's going to do very well this year. And obviously, as we build into later this year, We'll have the likes of Jim Furyk, you know, joining the Champions Tour as well, uh, and I think he'll do well there too. So it's uh, you know, for the Champions Tour, you know, obviously they would love to get Phil Mickelson. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but Ernie Els is about as close as they have right now to a, a superstar, and if he starts winning, people will start paying attention. Yeah, you're exactly right, uh, and we've talked about that uh, that. They really need Phil to come out there and play well. They need Steve Stricker to, to come out there and play well. And they're yeah. still making big money, like three times as much money on the uh, on the regular tour, and uh, they're still competitive and, you know, still relevant. So they're hesitant to come down to the uh, Champions Tour, except for maybe a couple of the, the major events. There was an event on the Sumatra Tour. They opened their season with the Natural Charity Classic last weekend. Um, you have Jamie Jackson, who got her first professional title. She's out of Huntsville, Alabama. Um, she, uh, at number two, she took a four-shot lead. Number four, got it to a five-shot advantage. She just kind of ran away w- with it. So congratulations to Janie Jackson. Um, Kieran, there's no real events to talk about in the four-call section for uh, next week because of the Players' Championship. Um, so we're going to jump right on here. Gonna Fred, talk just a minute Fred, about. Don't forget, yes. Fred. Don't forget oh, there the is Hero a, Indian Open. Go ahead. Come on. This is the European Hero Tournament. Indian Open. I'm sorry. Time. Yeah, I was gonna. I was actually gonna meant to throw that over to you, and I it completely <laughs> went. So I'm gonna let you talk about the Hero Indian Open because I got nothing for you. <laughs> well, I'll keep it brief because uh, obviously this is clearly the event everybody's paying attention to this week. This is a big one, the one that matters. Uh, but yes, the Hero <laughs> Indian Open. <laughs> played at the DLF Golf and Country Club, which is a Gary Player-designed layout. It's been there for a few years now. It's a very, very strange golf course. You have to almost, you have to actually watch the event just to see the golf course. I mean, it's almost like every, every bad bit of golf course design thrown into one layout. It's incredible. It, it looks like one of those exaggerated courses you would see in an old video game. It's bizarre. Not one of Gary Player's finest moments, I don't think. However... That's where the Hero Indian Open is. And uh, last year, Scotland's Stephen Gallagher won that event. That was his fourth victory on the European Tour. And Matt Wallace won the year before, Fred, which shows that players can emerge in tournaments like this and go on to bigger and better things. And actually, historically, this event has some interesting winners. Uh, Perhaps most notably, uh, Payne Stewart won the Indian Open back in the early 1980s. And uh, the great Peter Thompson won it three times, including the inaugural event back in the 1960s. In terms of the field this week, you have the likes of Jorge Campil, who we talked about earlier, last week's winner, Stephen Gallagher defends. You also have players like Alex Levy, Jus Flauten, David Drysdale, the much-forgotten Victor Dubuisson, uh, Shabanka Sharma and Anna Ban Lahiri playing in their home country, of course. So 
while it's not going to draw much in the way of headlines, Fred, I mean, these events, it provides these players with an opportunity to you know, potentially you know, pick up a victory. And as we saw with it, with Matt Wallace, it could be a platform to bigger and better things in the years ahead. But perhaps most notably is the fact that basically after this event, Fred, the European Tour shuts down until May. Uh, there are no events. You have to, obviously, you have the uh, match play WGC next week. Obviously, that's essentially for the elite players. And then you have the Masters. And there is no other regular European Tour event since the cancellation of the Kenyan Open uh, due to coronavirus. No other regular European Tour event until the Andes, Andalusia Masters, hosted by Sergio Garcia, at the end of April, the beginning of May. Uh, so European Tour players, the vast majority, after this week, have about six weeks off which at this time of year really is not ideal for a professional golfer. And it just shows that the European Tour schedule, despite having some big events, the Rolex Series and so on, there is a secondary European Tour where the schedule remains very truncated and not full. And for these guys, I mean, there's pressure on to play well this week because in reality it's their last chance of a paycheck until much later in the spring. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, they have to work their schedule around the big events here in the United States, and uh, they, they can't find sponsors, they can't find eyeballs, they can't get TV time. So, uh, yeah, it yeah. Is, uh, it's unfortunate for them. Um, you know what, Kieran? You, you, you've never been to Boyne up in northern Michigan. You've never been to northern Michigan, but it, it's beautiful up there. But I'm telling you what, it's still cold and snowy up there right now. But they are offering hot deals for golf coming up this summer on their 10 courses, all by top-name designers. They have a course to suit every player. Visit their website, check out the Champions Golf Package or their Unlimited Golf Package. Both provide for great golf, and of course, you can dine in the restaurant, take a lesson from the Boyne Academy, or soothe those aching muscles in any of the three spas at any of the three Boyne locations. Start your golf season off in luxury with a stay at the Inn at Bay Harbor. It's an autographed collection hotel. It's absolutely gorgeous. Play 18 holes of golf at the Bay Harbor Club or 27. There's three nines there. Don't forget, Boyne has three spas plus a multitude of outdoor activities. It makes Boyne one of the premier vacation resorts in the country. Call 855-813-2109. at 855-813-2109 or make your reservation to visit boyne.com forward slash golf. That's boyne, B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf. So, Karen, with that, we close out the review section. And let's talk a little bit of news here. And the biggest news uh, right now, and, and uh, Carlos and I have been talking about this for probably about a year and a half uh, building up to this. You know, we kind of thought, well, maybe the – PGA Tour would do some more of their own live streaming. They would do some of their own production. Uh, maybe they would see a different television broadcast uh, contract than what we've seen in the past. But in the end, it looks like they gained maybe a little bit more control. They gained some more time on air. They gained a bunch of money, but it's still going to be CBS. It's still going to be NBC. It's still going to be Golf Channel. But, oh, yeah, ESPN is in there as well on doing a lot of content. One of the big things is that CBS, it's a nine-year extension is what it is with the PGA Tour. Um, CBS will continue as the lead broadcast partner of the PGA Tour. They're going to do 19 tournaments uh, between NBC and CBS. They're going to split 
the three FedEx Cup playoffs every other year beginning in 2013. So one network will do all three in, in a certain year. Then the next year, the other network will do it. Uh, additionally, as part of the new deal, CBS Sports will amplify its footprint with increased use of PGA Tour content across all of their sports platforms, which include uh, CBS Sports Network, CBS Sports HQ, CBSSports.com, and social media channels. So it just shows you how important the social media and all the digital stuff is um, and as a side note, uh, Kieran, I have to tell you that our, our, our Toledo, the Toledo Blade, which has been the, uh, the main newspaper, the standard newspaper in Toledo for a long, long time. Matter of fact, one of the leading communications firm, uh, families in the United States still own it. And they just recently announced they, they had cut back with no newspapers on Monday and Tuesday, only Wednesday through Sunday. And they just announced the other day they're going down to three days a week. They're just going to print a newspaper on Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. Uh, no Monday, Tuesday, no Thursday, Friday. So um, this just shows you how important digital media and all this stuff becomes when they put it into these big contracts like this uh, with these companies. Everybody knows they've got to be out there on digital and in social media. Kieran, what's your take? Yes, I mean that that is certainly you know the way that the the global marketplace is moving, and it's certainly unfortunate to see so many you know local newspapers and local media struggling traditional media in the environment but uh, unfortunately, it's just the nature of the market these days uh, but obviously the p j tour likes to come to the players' championship and likes to make it almost like a defiant statement of this we're still the only show in town we have these new massive television deals we're securing you are broadcasting future for the new decade and obviously remaining with their traditional partners while trying to expand that digital footprint uh, and, and in the end i'm sure that obviously some of the storylines of the past few weeks with the proposed premier golf league etc you know this is a pga tours way of coming out and just saying yeah you know we're still the place you know we're still the ultimate this is where you want to play. This is where the money is. We have the backing of the huge corporations in America to broadcast our events and to showcase our players. And now to try and expand the online marketplace, that perhaps counteracts a potential avenue for a new tour to emerge where they can dominate not just in broadcast television but also online at the PGA Tour, that is. That's another outlet for them to take full advantage of. And, I mean, there's talk this week of the fact that on PGA Tour Live – every shot from every player will be available to watch uh, as, it, as it plays out, uh, which is obviously an, an incredible you know, logistical move, but that's what people demand nowadays. People want to see as much as possible uh, of every player. And, I mean, the Masters did the same last year, as you'll recall, on the, the Masters website and their apps. You could see every shot played by every player essentially a minute or two after the shot was played, which was quite incredible. And that's certainly the future in that side of things. But you know, golf has, at the same time, a traditional audience as well who want to watch events on television and on network television, and they still have the opportunity. So PGA Tour is coming out very strongly with this, you know, underlining their status as being the best, the ultimate tour, and as far as they're concerned, uh, the only show in town, and certainly on Players' Championship Week, they are the only show in town that is their event and uh, it's their best way of selling their product and their players and what they offer. 
and the golf course obviously lends itself to that drama. We'll talk about it later on, but this, this is kind of the PGA Tours. This is their glorified big commercial week, and they are making the most of it, Fred. Yeah, that's exactly right. However, as part of the strategic alliance with the LPGA, the PGA Tour and the LPGA also announced that the LPGA Tour successfully negotiated their media rights agreement, and we'll see the LPGA Tour continue as the anchor programs on the Golf Channel, along with expanded exposure for selected events on NBC and CBS each year. And I know this is one of the things that Michael Wan has been working on the last three years. Uh, he started talking to us about that uh, about three years ago, that they wanted to get more uh, network coverage. Matter of fact, um, the, the uh, Marathon Classic two years ago, if you remember, uh, bought time on Sunday afternoon to be on CBS. Um, and uh, they were, I think, one of only two events that year, the other being the, uh, the U.S. Women's Open that was on um, a network uh, for the tournament. And so this was one of his goals. And so in this package, and along with this alliance with the PJ Tour, they were able to get all this put together. Um, you're going to have expanded exposure for the uh, um, U.S. Women's Open, the, uh, the KPMG, the PGA Championship, and the AIG uh, Women's British Open, which uh, are already on network, but it's going to be expanded. Um, they also got a long-term extension of the Golf Channel partnership uh, clear out to 2030. And uh, they're on the Golf Channel almost every week. Um, that is their main broadcast partner for the LPGA Tour. So, uh, Kieran, any any thoughts on the LPGA contract? It's good news for them. And I also think it's a, a timely move for them as well because we are seeing, I believe, a, a change in perception for women's satiety. Uh, I think people are now becoming more you know, aware of women's sport. There is more, there's more viewership there. More people are interested in it. They're seeing it for what it is, which is great competitive sport. For all kinds of sports and golf, it's no different. And for me, last year, reflecting on last year, 2019, for me, two of the three best events of the year in golf were two women's events, the Solheim Cup and the Women's British Open. I mean, for me, they were among my top three events uh, for drama and excitement and for the real spectacle of them. Uh, along with the Masters, obviously, with Tiger winning. So I think women's sport is going through a great time. As a whole, uh, they're changing perception, they're breaking down barriers, they're showing themselves, you know, showing what they're all about. And the LPGA has had a great success story over the past decade where at the beginning of the last decade they were in a very dark place, losing events, money was going down. They've slowly you know, progressed year on year since then and ended the decade you know, in a great position, you know, more tournaments than ever before, higher prize funds, and now this new enhanced television contract is a way to ensure that growth will continue into the new decade. So if you're an LPGA Tour player, it's very exciting times. And also if you're a player who's looking to emerge and get onto the LPGA Tour, there's never been a better time. Uh, and that's a great thing for women's golf and women's sport, that now there's going to be more improved opportunities for female players. And uh, you know, the LPGA Tour is becoming a fantastic stage uh, to showcase what women's, women's sport uh, can be and what it's all about. I want to get back and cover just one more point before we leave this topic. Um, 
Jeff Shackelford uh, in his uh, website has said that the uh, the real uh, nugget in all of this uh, new broadcasting contract is the um, awarding PGA Tour live streaming package to ESPN Plus. Um, so it uh, it's not the first time ESPN Plus has shown PGA Tour. It had a portion of the tour in uh, in 2018. Um, but uh, this is going to uh, be a much more enhanced position for them. And, uh, you know, since ABC, ESPN walked away from golf a few years ago, um, you know, maybe golf is the right thing for ESPN to get back into. And I think there's here someplace I've got um, something about, well, um, like the golf channel, you know, on a good day, you know, for a lot of – the Golf Channel reaches 800,000 people, okay? ESPN yeah. Plus reaches 3.5 million devices, okay? Um, so it's four times as much as what Golf Channel reaches. So yeah. this is – this might be the real the real buried piece of gold that's inside this whole deal, Kieran. Well, I think you know two things as well, and, and that's true uh, for a couple of reasons. One, as you say, just for the, the sheer numbers, but I think also your golf channel audience is obviously that's your core. That they're already golfers, they're already into it. Mm-hmm. The ESPN mm-hmm. crowd is a potential new market. The, the general sports fans, can you draw them in to watch your events and to follow your players? Can they make stars of the likes of Rory and Brooks Koepka and so on? Can they make them players that general sports fans will care about? Because I think. Every sport has those figures or should have those figures. I mean, tennis certainly has that, where people who wouldn't watch week in, week out, they'll watch Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. And golf unquestionably had that. Perhaps most of all, when Tiger was at his peak, general sports fans tuned in just to watch him. And having this deal with ESPN is a way to present PGA Tour product and the PGA Tour players to an audience who aren't saturated with golf like the average everyday golf fan is. Uh, I know we're going to talk about this a little bit as well, Fred, about the oversaturation of golf potentially. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the golf channel audience is obviously, they're already into it. You've already got them. You, they, they, you know, they signed up for it. They love golf. That's fine. But ESPN is a potential avenue to draw in a, a new audience as well. Now, this next topic, I put in here especially for you when I knew you were going to be on the show this week because I know that you have some thoughts on this. And so I'm just going to start by saying, you know, Paul Azinger kind of made some comments a week ago uh, on air as they were talking about the tournament wrapping up. Well, this is where everybody wants to play, about Fleetwood winning, uh, you know, at the Honda Classic. Uh, he really wants to win here because everybody – this is where everybody wants to come. This is the only tour. This is where it's all at. And uh, several Europeans, uh, you know, took a little uh, umbrage at that. And um, so um, we've got Rory saying last week that uh, he kind of also adds to that a little bit. Uh, kind of off to the side, he says, you know, I like to think I'm a quite loyal person. I think the PGA Tour has given me a platform to showcase my skill. The PGA yeah. Tour, he says to build my brand, to turn me into this golfer and athlete that I am. I think Jay Monahan and his team do a wonderful job with the tour. Now, he said that in response to questions about the PGL, okay, the, the Premier Golf League. 
But still, yep. that's kind of a backhand slap the European Tour, don't you think? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I actually, I'm not quite as a uh, – my head did not go on fire last week when Paul Lazinger <laughs> said, like, so many people's hair went on fire. Even those that were bald, their hair went on fire. When they grew it back and it went on fire again, that's how angry they were. And, I mean, because the reality is the PGA Tour is it's a place where the money is. It's a place where the majority of the best players in the world play. It's where it's a tour that has the most viewers, has the most eyes on it. It is the best stage to be a successful player. I think the issue people had with Paul Lazinger uh, was not necessarily what he said, the content of it, but it was how he said it, I think, was angered people by more or less dismissing uh, the European tour as being all that European tour, is what he said, and kind of you know, downplaying uh, achievements of the likes of Lee Westwood, of course, has won you know forty odd events around the world, etc., and, and stuff like that. I think people were upset about that. Whereas, you know, yes, Tommy Fleetwood, you know, wants to win on the PGA Tour. It's going to be the next step in his career. It would be a major thing for him. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But you shouldn't downplay what he has done to this point in his career, which of course is winning some very prestigious events in Europe. Events actually had a higher stronger field according to the official world golf ranking than some PGA Tour events and of course his success in majors and also his Reda Cup you know, winning five out of five uh, sorry winning three, four out of five alongside Francesco Molinari last year so uh, yeah it was a case of it wasn't what he said it was how he said it and you know, yes PGA Tour is the ultimate place but it's not the only place and golfers are defined by more than just success in the US and they have been throughout time I mean, you ask, you know, any player, look at Arnold Palmer back in the day who said that the reason he wanted to come and play in the Open Championship uh, back in 1960 was because to be a great golfer you had to win out with your own country. You know, Gary Players won in every continent in the world. You know, Jack Nicholas, you know, travelled internationally as well, won, events, won so many events down in Australia. Australian Open, he won that, I think, seven or eight times. Um, he loved travelling as well. The great players have always travelled and won across the world. Uh, you know, I mean... Lee Westwood, of course, has only won two events in the PGA Tour, but he's won you know, so many internationally. Are you telling me that a guy like Mark Wilson, who Easinger mentioned in his comments, is Mark Wilson a better player than Lee Westwood? Of course he's not. I mean, nobody in the right mind would think that. Was he a better player than Colin Montgomery, who never won the PGA Tour, but you know, won 34 events in the European Tour and was number one eight times, etc. I mean, did the likes of Nick Faldo or Seve Ballesteros, you know, they won PGA Tour events, but you know, 90% of the events they won were in Europe or internationally. So, I mean, yes, the PGA Tour is the place, and but it's not the only place. Uh, so I think it was more or less how he said it, not what he said was what people were upset about. But on Rory, I mean, Rory, he has become the spokesperson for Jay Monaghan yeah. over the past few weeks. I mean, he, they must absolutely love him in the PGA Tour <laughs> office because he is just, he came in and he torched the Premier Golf League now he's begging up their tour. I mean, he's just per- I mean, Rory's Rory's a potential future commissioner. The way he's going right now, he's a potential successor for Jay Monahan if he gets fed up playing. So uh, no, it's um, he's going to add the title of PR director to his uh, PGA Tour PR director to his title. <laughs> well, I tell you what, he he is by far the best PR guy in golf right now because he's able he to is. just. He's, uh, you know, and I think Rory is actually, just as kind of a general point, I think Rory has um, has really begun to embrace 
his sort of statesman-like position in the game. He's world number one again. I think that means an awful lot more to him than perhaps he lets on. He kind of downplayed it when he became number one again. I think that you mentioned it earlier with the Brooks Koepka stuff. I think Rory really enjoyed getting back to number one and reasserting his position in the game. And I think now he's coming out and he's trying to be the spokesman, uh, trying to be the, the statesman-like figure in golf who will come out and say things. And, and I think it's wonderful because there are so few elite sports people nowadays who want to really rock the boat. They're happy making their millions and just ticking along by. But Rory, you know, to his credit, you don't always have to agree with him, but he's perfectly willing to answer every question that's presented to him. He answers it honestly and often very compellingly. Um, so I think he is really emerging as that figure. So he's not only the best player in the game right now, he's unquestionably the best interview and the best press conference guy. He's the best guy every day of the week almost. He's the best guy on a Tuesday and a Wednesday right through the tournament. Sometimes not on a Sunday, but you'll get there eventually. But in terms of his <laughs> comments, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he was correct about, you know, begging up the PGA Tour. He's torched the, the PGL, in my opinion, quite rightly. And I know Brandon Chambly came out in the cha- uh, Golf Channel today and, and certainly backed up Rory's comments on that one. So he's got a lot of supporters, Rory, you know, on the tour and around the tour. And much of that's for very good reason because he's willing uh, to look beyond himself and look at the bigger picture and to comment on it, even if it's not necessarily to his financial advantage. And I think that's something to actually be admired in a day where it seems like so many people are willing to do anything as long as there's a dollar sign at the end of it. So, you know, Rory's great, uh, yeah, much to admire, but on the, the European Tour, PGA Tour stuff, we all know the PGA Tour is a place, but the European Tour is a great pathway, a great breeding ground of new players. Look at Brooks Capco, he did in Europe back in the day. That's where he started. It laid the foundation for what he's done since. He would be absolutely behind that idea. So, I mean, the European Tour has its place, but unquestionably the PGA Tour is the place for making the big money and for achieving the, the, the biggest uh, notoriety in terms of uh, viewers and eyes on you. Before we leave this topic, um, you know, and this, so one of the things that came out of this, is, of course, was the Premier Golf League, and they want to have 18 tournaments. And Rory says, well, maybe golf is oversaturated. Um, you know, and he pointed out the NFL that only plays like uh, 18 events a year uh, or 16 events a year. They're going, you want to go to 17 or 18. Um, and so, you know, each, each event, each, each game has a real significance. And, you know, there's so many golf tournaments that really don't mean anything uh, because there's, they got sponsor and they're going to have a tournament, but nobody shows up. But, but um, one of the things that uh, Carlos and I have been uh, discussing over the past few weeks is, you know, Rory likes some of the ideas of this PGL, and I think some of the other players like some of the ideas too, that of getting the best players together for these premier events, um, maybe not having quite as many events. And so Carlos came up with the idea, actually, of this World Golf Tour proposal where it is 18 events, but it's 18 current events using the eight Rolex series events, uh, using uh, 10 other events from around the world, uh, Japan and uh, Korea thrown in there, the CJ Cup and the Zozo, along with uh, some events from the United States uh, to get the the other eight. Um, And it seems to make a lot of sense to us. And I had sent you that information today, and I I know you took a look at it. 
what have you? What would be your thoughts on like a world golf tour uh, bringing everybody together and these top players into a program like that? Yeah, and I would certainly recommend anybody to go and check out Backnam Report TV to see Fred and Carlos in person, in the flesh, uh, discussing this potential world golf tour that Carlos himself has pulled together uh, quite wonderfully, I might add. Um, It makes much more sense than the the Premier Golf League, that's for sure. It's interesting where I think, um, look at the Premier Golf League, and obviously it is tarnishing the minds of many people, and I think rightly so for the alleged source of its funding uh, from the Saudi Arabian government. Uh, That is a major turn-off for many people, and I think correctly so. Um, And also, I I also feel that the the team aspect of it appears a little bit gimmicky. And again, it's very much about selling merchandise. I think that turns people off as well. But if you took those issues away from it, the funding and some of the slightly game show-like elements of it, and you took in isolation the idea of having 18 events a year with the world's top 48 players in them, would people really be against that if it had a more ethical funding source? I don't think they would be. Uh, I think it almost seems, it's always been seen to me to be the natural progression uh, for the game. Uh, my main issue as well, as well as the funding and, and the various other things with the PGL and also the lack of uh, clarity and uh, real information about it. I mean, it's, it's very much cloak and dagger, top secret, and uh, they weren't particularly forthcoming with uh, details on anything. Um, my main issue with it was it, it potentially threatened uh, the progression that exists in golf, the ladder that exists in golf, and I think that's actually the strongest part of the game where people can emerge at any point, where you can come through the various tours and obviously work your way up. There's that pathway there, that ladder effect. But also you can see players emerge from virtually nowhere and be successful and beat the best players in the game. We saw it last year with likes of Matthew Wolf and Colin Morikawa and Victor Hovland coming on the tour and doing very well at a very quick and young age. Something like the PGL seemed to me to actually be disrupting that pathway, that natural progression, and making the game more exclusive at the highest level when it already is to a large degree. So I didn't think that was a particularly healthy route. But the route that Carlos has proposed uh, retained the progression from the satellite tours, from the lower tours, allowed players to make their way up every year and get into this elite group. And it created that almost like a promotion and relegation thing where you you either made the playoffs or you didn't make the playoffs. And then the following year you went down the league and went up a league. It's very similar to how very many other sports operate as well. So I think there's an awful lot that's compelling about that. And it does seem to be the natural progression. I've always felt that the, since the Premier Golf League emerged in the last few weeks and the discussion around it, I, I didn't see it as being a, a gore for a couple of reasons. One, I think Rory came out and his stance ended it almost on the spot. But also the fact that Tiger Woods, quite frankly, is not going to be a regular fixture in the game going forward playing regularly. That was also a major issue for it. Um, and I didn't see it going forward for that reason. But what I always felt was the inevitable result of it, and this might very well be the case, is that the discussions around the Premier Golf League and what the players are now being exposed to as an idea, that might eventually lead the PGA Tour and the European Tour to actually change to accommodate some of the better ideas that existed within the PGL to remain under the same umbrella, but to actually create a more elite series of events and 
as Carlos outlined in that video, it isn't rocket science to work out how to compose the tournaments. I would perhaps drop in one in Australia as well. Uh, I mean, you, to try and cover some of the major markets. And it would create a, a progression and it would, it was still under that same umbrella. So I can see quite conceivably uh, in the years to come, as I always have done, a greater collaboration between the European and the PGA Tours. What's happened with the PGL may simply accelerate that process. But that said, I think the PGA Tour is obviously in an extremely strong position as it is. And they, they might not see a need to change anything anytime soon because what they have is working. But I do think the general point, Fred, about the oversaturation of golf is unquestionably true. I mean, we have events, sometimes three or four events on any tour on TV every single week. And there's no off-season. Every other sport has one. It is exhausting. And it's fine having tournaments. But the trouble is all these events count towards the overall season prize. So if you're wanting to pay attention to the FedEx Cup or the race to Dubai in Europe, you're having to pay attention more or less from November till the following August or September, you know, more or less 10 months of the year, you have to pay attention to the rankings because all the events count towards that. Whereas if they had a more elite number of events that had their own distinctive money list and prize at the end of it, it's easier to follow. So it would only work if they were able to divide the tour into almost two or three different tiers and have their own relevant money lists and prizes for each of those tours and then giving players a chance to progress to the next level each season. Uh, but, so I think there's an awful lot of logic to what Carlos was saying. And I think we will see in the years to come greater collaboration and more natural you know, progression towards a world golf tour in terms of having more elite events rather than having a breakaway distinct thing, which uh, I, I think is a non-starter for the reasons I've outlined. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a fascinating topic, one that it will continue to develop over the years to come. But I do feel, Fred, that it, it will happen eventually. And the Premier Golf League, the legacy of that, it will probably disappear in my mind over the next few weeks. We'll never talk about it again. But its legacy might very well be accelerating the process that ultimately led to a distinctive elite uh, world golf tour. Well, you know, and to your point, I mean, we saw this in the 80s with Greg Norman, of course, uh, you know, trying to get a world uh, golf tour going. And, uh, you know, he got called into the commissioner's office and uh, all of a sudden uh, that came to an end and the w, the World Golf Championship events were born, the four events to be played at other places around the world. As it turns out, you end up with one in China. Now there's one in Mexico, uh, but the other two are played here in the United States. So um, that did change. That did come about out of Greg Norman's ideas. And I like you say, yeah. I think there'll be some ideas garnered from the PGL concept that may we may see in the future coming down the road. Um, I think, Fred, one thing that's worth mentioning, sorry, just quickly to skip, yep. follow up point you made there. I think the difference now, though, you, you're, you're right there about Greg Norman back in the day when he proposed the World Golf Tour. I think the difference is now is that the PGA Tour sees international opportunities in terms of growing their marketplace and their reach in Asia, potentially in South America, you know, across the world, whereas back in the 80s and early 90s, they were still very much focused on the U.S. market. Yep. Uh, I think yeah. now they've more or less maxed out 
the American market and the chance for them to actually expand their reach, as they've already done so, of course, with the WGCs, with the events in Asia, etc. I think the idea of having more events in that part of the world is a more attractive proposition to the PGA Tour now than what it would have been 20 or 25 years ago. Yeah, uh, you're exactly you're exactly right. Uh, they just salivate over that Asian market, uh, Japan, <laughs> Korea, you know, China. Uh, there's a lot of potential there. Um, so going on to the next topic, um, Kieran, social media claimed another victim last week. Uh, Scott Piercy, a guy that you wouldn't think, uh, you know, but he uh, he put a uh, homophobic uh, meme about uh, Democratic presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, uh, who was the mayor from Iowa, who won the Iowa primary, but dropped out of the primary race right before Super Tuesday through his support to Biden. And uh, so Piercy found this, uh, I, I guess, uh, noteworthy. And uh, also the fact that uh, Buttigieg uh, is a, uh, a professed gay person and uh, uh, uses that in his campaign. And yep. um, so Piercy uh, made a comment or used a little, uh, little video, a little movie thing uh, to make a, a comment about that. And uh, that just did not go down very well. Um, kind of like, uh, you know, Ted Bishop's response to Ian Poulter a few years ago. Uh, it got everybody's <laughs> panties in a bunch real quick. And um, so much so that uh, his sponsor, Jay Lindbergh, uh, his apparel sponsor, uh, pulled their sponsorship immediately without any question. Boom, they just gave a statement and said, you're done, buddy, you're out of here. Footjoy and Titleist, who are both under the Akushnet label, uh, did the same thing. So this one social media post probably cost uh, Scott Piercy about uh, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 million a year. Um, social media can be kind of expensive, uh, Kieran. Well, I think it's more that stupidity can be very expensive. <laughs> um, social media is just a tool, isn't it? That's just a way to. Um, but unfortunately, social media has uh, has shown uh, has given people a platform uh, to embarrass themselves. Whereas before it existed, they could keep these thoughts to themselves. Um, so I think Scott Piercy will be deeply regretting uh, what he said and what he what, you know, ultimately. If you say ridiculous or hateful or stupid things, then sponsors have every right to walk away from you. It's their money. They want you to represent their brand. If they feel that you're not the right person to represent that brand, it's who wants that associated with their company. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't criticise uh, the various companies for walking away because it's their money. They can do what they like. And uh, he will obviously be deeply regretting having said what he said and putting it out there um, it obviously wasn't a very clever thing to do and very costly for him financially, but also from a reputation standpoint as well. I mean, it, it also ultimately it's not really a it's not, it's not about politics. It's about you know content. It's about tone of voice. It's about common sense, and uh, it, all those things were lacking uh, in his mind when he shared that uh, you know that content on his social media page. But uh, yeah, so he won't be making that mistake again. But um, yeah, there are obviously certain things that you can't and you shouldn't say, and uh, certainly if you're if anyone really, but certainly if you're a public figure, and I see people, regular people, have said things on social media that have cost them their jobs, that have cost them their livelihoods, uh, everyday people, and there's no reason why if you're a PGA Tour player, the same thing shouldn't happen to you. 
uh, say for these brands and these manufacturers, it's their money. They are perfectly entitled to support and to back whoever they want to, for whatever reason they want to. And if that player potentially compromises that relationship by something that they've said, then that's their prerogative to, to walk away. So, uh, yeah, Scott Piercy will uh, regret it. And uh, ultimately, kids, think before you tweet. That's the bottom line. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, uh, especially if you're a top athlete, entertainer, or other public celebrity, uh, people yeah. are always watching. <laughs> you, know, uh, you, know, you know, tweet once and think twice before you actually hit the, the post button uh, next time, guys. Um, Annika Sorenstam and Gary Player are going to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom from our great president, Donald Trump. What is the Presidential Medal? Don't you start that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get you laughing. Oh, God. Uh, The Presidential Medal of Freedom is the highest honor a civilian can receive. The White House explains honorees as having made exceptional contributions to the security or national interest of America. Gary Player, I'm not sure what uh, contribution to the security of the country he made, but uh, to world peace or to culture or other significant public or private endeavors. Um, Annika is a naturalized U.S. citizen. She holds dual citizenship with Sweden. She is the first female naturalized citizen to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Player is a citizen of South Africa, not a U.S. citizen. Does that make a difference? I know you're not an American, and I'm asking you because you're kind of outside of this looking in. Uh, player does join Arnie, Jack, and Tiger, Charlie Sifford, who are golfers who have received the honor in the past. Um, yes, uh, both Annika and Gary achieved great success and have been tremendous role models. Uh, both are continuing in the game as ambassadors, uh, running tournaments, contributing time to their foundation's charitable works. Um, I have a problem with Gary Player being honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And I, am I being stupid about this? or, or What's your thought on that? It, it does seem very strange. And I think Annika, you know, being, as you say, Fred, a naturalized U.S. citizen, having lived there for a long time, married an American guy, kids are American, and she is... You know, America obviously prides itself, and rightly so, on its great immigrant history. And Annika has been a wonderfully successful you know, golfing immigrant uh, to America over the past few decades, you know, one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, whereas Gary Player obviously is not an American immigrant, obviously had great success in America, one of the best players of all time, obviously arguably the greatest international golfer in history. Uh, but, yeah, it, it does seem to all out of place with what uh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom represents. Uh, I mean, all the, all the all the previous golfers, as you mentioned there, you know, Tiger and Charlie Sifford obviously was a great guy at breaking down barriers back in the day and you know, deserves so much respect and admiration for what he achieved and the courage he displayed back in the 1960s. And obviously, you know, Jack and Arnie are you know, two American icons. So, yeah, it, it seems very odd uh, that Gary Player uh, would, would receive this honour. Um, He's had a lot of honours in his life, and uh, this one seems a little bit ill-fitting, uh, given his background and obviously not being American, not living in America. 
but that said, you know, there are a lot of strange things happening in the world these days, Fred, I'm afraid, and uh, things that you can't quite explain. Uh, that's certainly one of them, uh, but Annika, I'm fully behind that one, and I hope she, you know, I'm sure she greatly appreciates the honour, and I hope she had a wonderful day receiving it. Obviously, it's a very proud day for anyone, particularly someone who, is, who has made the United States their home to have this honour is a major, major deal. I mean, the equivalent in in the UK on this side would be obviously receiving like a, a knighthood or a damehood right. uh, from, from the Queen. So it would be a big deal. And again, in that particular case, you, you, international people can receive those honours in the UK in special cases. So, But I haven't yet, until now, seen an example like Gary Player happening in the US. Obviously, I don't know the history of the Medal of Freedom in any great detail, whether it's happened before, it might have happened from a military standpoint. I'm pretty sure Winston Churchill had the Presidential Medal of Freedom back in the day, which obviously is a different thing altogether. But I'm not sure Gary Player won many wars in his time. Won a lot of tournaments, <laughs> mind you, but not many wars. Um, so, yeah, it's a strange one, Fred, but um, one I can't quite explain. But um, for Annika, I'm pleased for her. I agree 100%. Um, you know, Donald Trump, being an avid golfer, wants to bring attention to the sport, and that's all. That's great. That's uh, what a better way to do it. It's in his power to do that. Um, and Gary, you know, great player, wonderful ambassador of the game, won all over the world. It's almost kind of like a little brother kind of thing, you know. Well, Arnie and Jack did it, so I should be able to do it too. I mm. I don't know. It just it just doesn't sit right with me. I, I don't know. Oh, well. Um, yeah. The uh, we're going to talk a little bit about betting, a little bit about wagering. Um, the PGA Tour announced Golf Bet, uh, a new website uh, launched. Uh, the Action Network and the PGA Tour uh, have launched Golf Bet, all one word. Uh, it's a first of its kind golf focused betting content platform. Golf Bet will be powered by the Action Network and hosted at uh, actionnetwork.com forward slash golf. Uh, also be available within the Action Network app. There's an app. Yeah, there's an app for that, Kieran. Uh, through this uh, partnership, the PGA Tour will provide golf bet content distribution via tour digital platforms, uh, footage rights, and support golf bet video content. So they're going to provide a lot of stuff for that. And I went to the website. And uh, Jason Sobel, uh, who uh, used to be with uh, with Golf Channel, is obviously contributing a lot of content. He's probably getting a lot of money to do it because his stuff is all over uh, that website. But a couple of bets that you can make there. Um, so, like this week in the Players Championship, you can. Uh, there's three players. Let's say John Rahm, Rory McIlroy, and Brooks Kepka. And you can bet, uh, let's say, $10 that John Rahm will have a better start. He'll have a lower score on Thursday than Rory and Brooks. And if you bet $10 and Rahm does indeed post a lower score, you will win $17.50. Um, if we take that to the young guys, there's a line for Colin Morikawa, uh, Victor Hovland, and Matthew Wolf. So if you happen to pick Colin Marikawa has the, the low odds there. So a $10 bet, if you won that, if he indeed posts a lower score, you'd win $11. Um, you'll have to go to the website to figure all this stuff out. 
But there is also uh, odds on there for every player winning the tournament. Uh, if you want to put down a 10 or 20 or or $100 bet, whatever, and then uh, the odds are there what the payout would be if your player does win. So um, the PGA Tour is involved in, uh, in golf wagering in a big way, and this is kind of the first thing that they've come out with. Yes, it certainly is, and it was always inevitable, obviously, when the laws were relaxed on sports betting in the U.S., and again, this has always been a funny story for me, you know, we have certainly discussed this before in my previous appearances on the show, coming from, from Europe and the U.K., you know, sports betting is uh, basically an integral part of any sport, it's a huge thing, um, from my perspective, overly so, uh, but golf is a perfect sport for in-play betting, so it has existed in the UK for a long time, and uh, as there are so many variables, you can bet on anything. What guys will obviously, what they'll score in the next hole, and will they beat the other guys in their group? You know, will they birdie the hole? You can do all kinds of things. Your longest drive hitting the fairway. The, the possibilities for sports betting are endless, and having that app on your phone, you can sit and watch the Masters, for example, and just bet away. Um, so it's always going to happen. It's a potential huge money spinner for everybody involved. It's a, you know, it's a huge, huge market that's now been opened up uh, for sport and obviously golf in this particular case. Um, as always, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but uh, you know, I would always encourage people uh, just to be sensible. I mean, these things can spiral out of control. You know, the vast majority of people do bet on sports and they, you know, they're, they're, they don't go too far. They, they enjoy it. It's, enhances the experience of watching a tournament that's fine you know i've done it in the past myself uh, not for a while mind you i've kind of that's a vice i've let go among many others um, i might add but um but for a lot of people I mean, you've become a better man i have i have i've become like a monk almost I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> so uh, yeah so um and this is one thing i, I, did, I did give up was your, uh, your lone but, your lone sole vice is uh golf <laughs> that's it. That, that's all I've. That's all I've got left, Fred. This show. That's it. That's, that's the only advice I've got that remains. That's why I need. To, that's why I need it to get my fix. But um, but no, it's um, again for some people, sports betting addiction is a major problem uh, for a lot of people. Obviously, a minority of people, but it is an issue, and it's something that we do not want to see potentially explode in the U.S. because it can destroy lives. I mean, people can lose control and, and bet you know more money than what they have on these things and just spiral out of control, and before they know it, they're, they're in major trouble. So, it's uh, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. We'll see how it develops. But uh, I say it was uh, when the laws were relaxed, uh, you know, the door was opened. Uh, but incidentally, Fred, just quickly to dart back to the previous discussion about the Presidential Medal of Freedom. So as you were outlining the betting situation here. I did a bit of research, and there have been other non-Americans who have received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, including Mother Teresa, uh, former UK Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, and another former UK Prime Minister, uh, Tony Blair. So uh, um, a group of people there of varying levels of distinction, and uh, Gary Player joins them. So there we go. Well, I would put I would put Gary club. Player right in there with Mother Teresa. When I think of I think of Gary, right? You know that one one they're interchangeable like that. Yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you what. I bet you I bet you Gary himself believes that. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Gary <laughs> absolutely, Player, absolutely. I mean, what, what you can say about Gary Player is, I mean, 
he has never doubted himself, put it that way. I mean, he's got an awful lot of self-belief and self-confidence, and uh, it took him and to And he's never seen a microphone he didn't like. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wraps up our Par 5 news for tonight. And uh, so normally we would move into our very important guest and our practice range. And uh, we don't have a – our very important guest tonight is Kieran, who's doing guest host oh, honors for Carlos. Thank you very much. Uh, very important. And um, in our practice range segment this, season, this evening, as we always do, we pick a topic and uh, we expound on that. Uh, we try to cover all the bases. And this week with the players, we've kind of touched on it briefly as we've gone through here, uh, but the Players' Championship is the subject of our practice range this weekend, or this week. And, um, Kieran, this is the 21st week and the 23rd event of the 2020 Tour year already. <laughs> the season is half over. Sounds and ridiculous. It's only March, right? Uh, we're just now having the first real big event of the year. Well, maybe the second if you count the Genesis Championship. Um, plus, there is only, you know, there, there's just nothing else going on this weekend. The, the one, the, except for the, that giant hero Indian Open or whatever that's going on. Um, so everything is all about the players. And, uh, Kieran, that's all in capitals, by the way. You know, you can't say just yeah. the players. You have to say the players because it's all in capital <laughs> letters. Um, a- after this, we're going to have a mad rush to the finish line with the four majors plus the FedEx Cup playoffs coming in the next six months. You've got, uh, in this thing, you've got the big purse, $15 million. They just announced they were going to raise that up a couple weeks ago, 2.27 mil to the winner. Um, you've got this unbelievable golf course at TPC Sawgrass, Pete Dye, all the history there. Everybody knows that Dean Beeman, um, it's just unbelievable. It, it brings players to their knees. Um, you've got strength of field. Uh, it's one of the best we're going to see all year. However, Kieran, there is a problem. We've got a problem. Houston, we've got a problem. Tiger is not there. He did not play at the Honda. He had to withdraw from the Arnold Palmer Invitational, and now he's not playing in the players. So my first question to you here in this topic, mm-hmm. can he go into the Masters without more tournament play? Well, if anyone can, it's him. Um, but I, I find it very hard to believe that um, he, he could translate such a lack of competitive play into a successful defense at Augusta. But then the caveat is always is Tiger Woods. He's a guy that makes the improbable possible. And the, the seemingly impossible actually happen, uh, as we saw, you know, a year ago. I mean, what, what he did there, obviously, is something that we'll never forget. Um, and going into that event last year, he played five events uh, before the Masters in 2019. This year, it looks likely it will be just, and of course, having not played since the Genesis, it's a significant uh, window of lack of competitive play. But that said, I mean, you know, Tiger has such a great history at Augusta, great experience of the golf course. He's such a unique player in terms of his preparation. I mean, we don't know, obviously. We're constantly told that he's not ready to, we're not ready to play, but is he practicing? How much is he able to go out and play in his own time? We don't really know. 
uh, and we probably won't really know until the week of the Masters itself. I mean, I don't think he's going to play at all until then. I think that's it. He's not going to play the match play, uh, and he won't play the Valspar. I think he's going to go straight into Augusta cold. Um, and time will tell whether that was obviously the... It might have been the only route he had to him, given his physical limitations. But it does underline a point that I think you know, I did make last year where when he won the Masters, obviously that was stratospheric. I mean, it's, a, it's an event we'll never forget. It was one of the great stories of all time in sport, certainly in, in living memory. Uh, and people were at the time were saying, well, could this be the beginning of a second era? Could this be Tiger going for Jack's record now? Is it back on? And I think the rest of last year really showed that it's going to be very hit and miss with Tiger going forward, where look at the rest of the majors last year. He really struggled and for the most part. And certainly, you look at the way he played in the Open at Royal Port Rush. He could really move. He was really affected by his back, the colder weather, etc. And people began to write him off. And then he came back and he had that amazing finish to the year. You're winning in Japan, etc. And being in the Presidents Cup again. So it's very hard to read. Tiger's an impossible player to read right now where he's at. Um, but I think if you, if you, if you rein in your expectations with Tiger, you'll be surprised. If you go too far ahead with your expectations you'll be disappointed because he won't quite fulfill the consistency that perhaps you might think he's capable of because he's not physically the person he once was. You know, Tiger, for me, is still he's still the best golfer in terms of his intelligence, in terms of the way he plays on his day. He can do things that I still believe under pressure no one else can. But fortunately, physically, he's not the same man he once was. And it's not going to get any better. He's 44 years old. He's not going to, you know, as anyone can tell you, as they get older, you don't get physically better. And particularly if you started at a very good position, which you used to be at, you don't improve. And uh, that will continue to regress as time goes on. So I, I've always felt that his window is still limited uh, going forward. You'll he'll, he'll have great days, uh, as we saw last year. He'll, have, he'll disappear for a while, he'll come back. He'll not play very well, he'll miss cuts more than he used to. Um, but I think we're seeing Tiger, you know, trying to find the best way for him to play his best. He's honing his game for the Masters. And he admitted last year he played too much because he got into more events than he thought he was going to. Uh, and he played them all. And it was still a light schedule for most players, but his schedule's always been lighter than most, and now even more so. So, Fred, to answer your question, I mean, we don't know. Tiger is someone who can do absolutely anything, but you would think that looking at him, you know, where he's at, looking at the likes of Rory and John Ram, etc., and Justin Thomas, where they're at, they're at with their games now and with the competitiveness coming into the Masters. It's hard to see him beating them over the four days at Augusta, but, you know, he did it last year. So who knows? <laughs> I'm going to give you three names here. Uh, Brooks Kepka has been coming back from injury, um, you know, did not play early in the year. Um, Justin Rose has just missed two cuts in a row. That's the first time he's done that for a long, long time. Uh, Ricky Fowler, we're not right sure what's going on with him. He's just not been playing quite that well yet this year. Um, of those three players, which one do you think has the best chance of winning this week at the players? Well, one thing I'm going to say is, right, you, you, at the start of the show you mentioned the players being a major championship, right? And obviously we all know it's important because the name is capitalized. That makes it important clearly in the advertising and the PJ Tours marketing. But really the true test of whether this is actually a major 
is if Brooks plays well, because he only plays well in majors. So if Brooks doesn't turn up, then we know it's definitely not a major, um, because he's obviously, you know, not played very well whatsoever. He was very candid, let's put it that way, about his play uh, last week. He was very um, uncompromising <laughs> in his description of it. I won't repeat what he said, but the quote is out bleep, there. Bleep, uh, bleep, bleep. <laughs> yeah, bleep, bleep. There's been a lot of yeah. bleeps recently for Brooks. He hasn't played very well. So he's honest about the state of his game, and it's not good. But, uh, you know, knowing Brooks, he'll be back in contention at the real majors. So the question is, will it be this week? Well, this, for me, is the test of whether the players is a major. Does Brooks care enough to actually emerge from his slumber and contend? It's quite possible. All those three guys, I actually don't think any of them are going to do particularly well this week. Uh, I think Justin Rose is looking for something right now. You mentioned the fact he's left uh, Honma, the Japanese manufacturer, after just a year. He was world number one when he announced that contract signing with them, playing the best golf of his life, has done very little since then. And now he's back with TaylorMade and he's trying to find something with his game. And this is not really the golf course to come and do that at. It's far too tricky and far too uh, intimidating off the tee to really come here and to try and find something. Um, so I don't see him playing very well. If anything, I see Ricky Fowler playing the best of them because he has the best history here, having won five years ago. And that was one of the best finishes I think we've ever seen in this event. It was incredible. And it was unquestionably the biggest win of his career. Uh, the question is, will, will it always be the biggest win of his career? Time will tell. He's missed a cut the last two weeks by one shot. He said today, I watched him speak, he said his, his game is trending in the right direction. Well, it better quicken up a little bit uh, for this week. Uh, so I don't see, Fred, any of those guys playing well. But um, if one person can turn it on out of nowhere, it's Brooks. But I just don't think this will be the week for him either. I'm going to talk about uh, three European names here. Uh, John Rahm, who played well here last year, uh, yeah. was second to Rory. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, who has really had a great two, three-year run uh, all over the world, but he is coming off a miscut. Can he rebound here? And then uh, Francesco Molinari, uh, who we saw win last year at the Arnold Palmer, had to withdraw from his back. Is he going to be able to play and, you know, what's the level of his play? What do you think? Well, on, on Francesco Molinari, I mean, it's been a quite stunning uh, fall from grace. I mean, we go back to the year 2018. You know, he won the PGA Tour for the first time, won big events in Europe, won at Wentworth. Uh, and, of course, he won the Open Championship in brilliant style at Carnoustie. And then had that unbeaten five out of five in the Ryder Cup. You know, Molinari was arguably the best player in golf in 2018 in terms of big moments. And then he followed it up last year, winning at Bay Hill. And then he was seemingly running away with the Masters, went through an, a record level of a number of holes without making a bogey over three rounds. And then he got to the 12th hole at Augusta on Sunday. And he hasn't been the same man since. Uh, he obviously had that disastrous finish there, as so many other players did, uh, and opened the door for Tiger to come through and, and win, as we've just discussed. And Molinari, as far as I can remember, has not had a top 10 finish since Augusta last year. So clearly that event and the way it finished has left scars mentally on him because that is an unbelievable collapse in form for a guy who was so consistent for a year before that. Um, so right now you don't see him playing well at all not just because of the apparent physical problems that he has but just 
his game has just not been there. His confidence has not been there, and it's it's it just shows you how fickle and how changeable golf can be. You know, one minute you can be top of the world, and then before you know it, you can be made a fool of. And uh, unfortunately for Molinari, that's been the case recently. But uh, you know, certainly he's capable of getting back to his best form at some point. Uh, I just don't think it will be this week. Uh, on Tommy Fleetwood, Fred, I mean, in a way, missing that cut last week is probably not necessarily a bad thing because he's played an awful lot of golf over the past couple of years, week in, week out, played remarkably consistently. I mean, to make 47 cuts in a row worldwide is a phenomenal achievement. Um, last week at Bay Hill was a bit of an outlier. That was such a tough golf course, the way it was set up. And obviously he was coming off what happened at the Honda the week before. Uh, but Tommy's games, you know, Wonderful. He doesn't really have a weakness. He's capable of winning anywhere. I think he has the game for any golf course, including this one. And just looking at this golf course, the Sawgrass, you know, sometimes it has divided opinion. But I think the great thing about it has always been that it rewards a variety of players. There's no real archetypal player that plays well here. Any kind of player can win here. Look at last year, Rory, one of the best, biggest hitters in the game. He won. Who finished second? Jim Furyk. I mean, there you go. Guys like Fred Funk have won here in the past. Tim Clark. Obviously, big hitters have won here as well. So any kind of player can win at Sawgrass, and that's a great validation for the golf course. And Tommy Fleetwood is certainly uh, a guy who's capable of contending here because um, he's got the game for it. But in terms of games, uh, Fred, I almost called you Carlos there. I'm so sorry. It's getting late in the morning now, late in the day. Uh, Fatigue is setting in, but no. But John Ram, Fred, I mean, he is, for me, the complete player and we're just waiting now for him to achieve that big victory. We all know how good he is. He has all the tools in the world. Um, he's in that marquee grouping with Rory and Brooks as the world's top three this week. Uh, you know, and John Ram is someone who, looking at him potentially, he's not played very much of late. He's been kind of keeping himself relatively relaxed and just building up slowly for the big season ahead. And as you say, it's going to really accelerate with all the majors within quite a, uh, quite a quick run of of weeks um, and into the FedEx Cup, of course. So John Ram's kind of measured his preparation, his schedule. Um, he's pacing himself, uh, but it's time for him to win a big one. And the players, of course, is not a major, but it's still a big one. And you know, I would not be surprised if John Ram uh, wins this week. For me, of all the players we've mentioned so far, Fred, for me, he is the standout of the bunch and the most likely uh, to do very well this week. Yeah, I uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I hate to do that, but uh, uh, Rom is married now, and, uh, you know, that kind of has a way of settling down young guys, and uh, they end up seeing kind of the bigger picture and uh, not focusing on every second so much, and uh, it actually helps them uh, achieve uh, bigger goals and, and play a lot better golf. So, um, yeah, I, I like Rom a lot this week. I, I really do. Well Fred, um, well, Fred, just on that point, did uh, did getting married, did that settle you down? Did that settle your golf down? Did that bring the best out of you? Did you fulfill your goals after becoming a married man? Which time? I've been married three times. Oh, <laughs> there you go. That's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is no. <laughs> so I got I got some more names for you, Kieran. Um, Justin Johnson. Justin Thomas, Jason Day, Patrick Reed, or let's just say the bad boys, Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau. How about that? But give me give me some <laughs> thoughts on those five. 
Well, I mean, you touched on Patrick Reed and uh, Bryson DeChambeau. When they were going head-to-head recently, I mean, just looking at uh, golf Twitter, it was a case of who do you want to win or lose the most, basically, out of these two. Because, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, it was, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of, you know, t- t- not the most popular figures. But you know what? As I've always said, you need to have polarizing figures in any sport because it makes you care one way or the other. If you react negatively to somebody, well, you're still caring about them. If everybody was bland and nobody was interested in them, then it wouldn't be very exciting. The fact that you either love a guy or hate a guy or whatever, for me, or root for him or against him, that's something to embrace in golf. Maybe not necessarily having them both in the playoff together or something like that. Maybe that's not necessarily the best way for it, but I think you need to have those polarizing figures, and they both are for different reasons. Although, I think sometimes Bryson's a little bit harshly treated. You know, Patrick, I think, um, deserves much of the scorn, but uh, Bryson's still a little bit different. And that's not always popular, but uh, they're playing very well. And, uh, you know, they're, they're both... Certainly Patrick Reed's obviously a, a guy who, despite all the controversy, all the attention, he has an enviable ability to brush it aside and win. Um, it doesn't make him friends. You know, he's not the most popular guy, but he's someone who wins, and you have to admire that from a golfing perspective. Bryson is occasionally, obviously, a little bit um, unpredictable. He has a habit of uh, making mistakes at the wrong times, but he's one of those players who is capable of absolutely anything. You know, both good and bad makes him very compelling. Uh, I think they'll both do well this week. I think this is the kind of golf course that will suit them both in terms of being. It's, it's a obviously very tricky. I think both of those guys thrive in those kind of environments, particularly Patrick Reed, uh, expecting to play well. You know, you mentioned other American players there, you know, Justin Thomas, who we've kind of forgotten about a little bit, been playing some very solid golf of late. For a while now, I see him continuing this, having a very big season this year. Obviously, injury kind of held him back a little bit before. I think 2020 will be the year he rebounds and potentially picks up uh, that second major in his career. Uh, Dustin Johnson has kind of fallen off the spectrum a little bit of late. Uh, he was, of course, world number one. Has slipped down the rankings considerably since then. Down to, I think he's at number five now. So he's uh, he's not quite where he was consistently. Hasn't played well on the tour for a while now. I think his last top ten or top five in the PGA Tour was actually at the PGA Championship last May. So that's a long time for a guy who's been a, a real consistent, proven winner for well over a decade. So. I'm not sure that Sawgrass is quite the course for, for DJ, but that said, he has the tools to unlock anywhere, uh, but it's perhaps a little bit too much of a, a mentally taxing layout and men- mentally challenging layout for him to overcome. Time will tell, but uh, I do see the more of the practitioner players like Reed and uh, Shambo doing well here as opposed to someone like uh, Dustin Johnson, who I don't think his big driving game is necessarily suited to this golf course. I think you have to accommodate that slightly. And the players who win here, as Rory showed, Rory showed last year, he accommodated his game for this course, having not played well there much before. And he, uh, he obviously reaped the rewards for that. So it's uh, I think the golf course is also a big story here, Fred, every year. Uh, it delivers drama and excitement, but it also delivers a real variety of winners. I think most players come to this week and think they've got a chance. They're not coming to a venue that's you know 7,500 yards, you know, long, you know, long, sort of simply long drivers bombers course. This is something a little bit more uh, thought provoking, and I think that opens the door for more players. And obviously, having such a strong field 
makes the, the list of potential contenders uh, very wide indeed. Let's talk just a minute about the favorite. The clear favorite here is Rory McIlroy. Uh, he's just yeah. been so consistent over the last uh, year and a half. He has played so well. Um, and um, he's the betting favorite by far uh, this mm-hmm. week. And we've, we've touched on Rory just a little bit. But, um, you know, he, he's, he's the defending champion. He's still playing well. Um, does he take those mistakes that he's made in some of these top fives he's gotten and turn that into a win again this week and, and clearly show, hey, I, I am the, I'm the top dog here. I'm the guy that you've got to beat every week. Yeah, I mean, we look at last year, and it was fascinating when Rory came. And obviously last year the players reverted back to its traditional March date after a decade of being in May. So it became the precursor to Augusta. I mean, Rory won at Sawgrass last year with a big statement victory. And to beat a field of that strength on that golf course suggested he was going to be back. And then, of course, he went into the major season and didn't translate that into success. So I think he would almost uh, he'd take not winning this week, but going to Augusta and doing very well there. But I think Rory's in a, case, a position right now where his confidence is so high, his level of play is, I say, arguably the best of his career. And for me, he feels he can win every week. And he is making mistakes, as you touched on there, Fred, but he's still finishing top five. I mean, most players do not make mistakes and finish top five. That shows how good he is. Um, and we almost, we, you know, we know how good he is and how good he can be. And that's why we get not frustrated, but maybe disappointed that he doesn't always win as much as perhaps maybe Tiger did at his peak. You know, Rory's a very different personality than what Tiger was. Maybe doesn't quite have that same killer instinct. But to be fair, I'm not sure very, very many players ever have had that the way yeah. Tiger did. So exactly. you know, Rory's not Tiger's his, his own category. You know, Rory is by far the best player you know, of his era in my mind, just in terms of what he's capable of. And we're now seeing that you know, level getting back to even beyond what it was before. Um, so yeah, there's no reason why he can't win this week. I have no doubt he'll be there, thereabouts. I mean, it's, it's hard to see him not being in, in contention at some point. Uh, this golf course again, it can trip you up. I mean, there's the margin for error is quite slim, and a way it's reminiscent of Augusta in the respect that you can go out there and you can make birdies and eagles and so on. Particularly at that finish, you know, 16, 17, you can make stuff happen there. But again, there's the potential for if you're slightly out, a little bit unlucky. You know, the, the penalty is quite severe. So it's, uh, that's why we love the Players' Championship. And Rory fell on the right side of that coin last year. Um, so, but maybe there's a reason why no one has uh, successfully defended at Sawgrass. I mean, it's a golf course that doesn't give you that much. I mean, it, it can bite you more than give you something. So um, maybe that'll trip him up again. But no, I think Rory will play well. Uh, Sam, uh, whether he wins or not, time will tell. But... Um, I have no doubt he's going to be in a very strong position, irrespective of what happens this week uh, as we build towards Augusta. Uh, that's what he's targeting. That's obviously the one, the final jewel in the crown he wants to have. And um, you know, the players was a big statement last year for him to win that. Uh, but a defence of this title this week uh, would just underline his position right now. I would make him, you know, the hot, hot favourite going into Augusta. But I think either way he will be the favorite uh, for the Masters, irrespective of what happens this week. 
Um, as I mentioned, he is the clear betting favorite. Um, Justin Thomas is number two, but he's way back in the odds. Mm. Uh, Webb Simpson, Adam Scott, and then Patrick Cantley kind of round out the uh, the top five there in the betting favorites. Uh, Brooks Kepka is down 12th, uh, Patrick Reed 15th, and Ricky is 16th. So they're kind of down there. There's a few names. I looked down the official world golf ranking, and there's a few names that interest me down in the uh, number 50 to number 60, just outside the top 50 in the world. And you, in that group, you've got uh, Phil Mickelson, Victor Hovland, Ian Poulter, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, and Graham McDowell. Now, yeah. these guys, you know, Hovland is young, so we don't know exactly where he's at yet. I mean, he's a, he's a really good player. He's coming off a win in Puerto Rico. Um, I don't think he did quite as well last week at the, at the API. But, um, you know, these are some guys that on this course, if they have their A game, they could do very well. So uh, these are my dark horses that I'm kind of interested in. So Phil Mickelson, Victor Alvin, Ian Poulter, George Speed, Colin Morikawa, and Graham McDowell. You got any dark horses that you're interested in and watching? Well, I think all those guys are compelling for different reasons. I think Phil, for the reason of he has had success here before, and we're actually waiting to see whether it's time to almost write Phil off uh, because he hasn't played particularly well consistently for a significant amount of time now. He obviously won last year at Pebble Beach and since then has done extremely little. Of course, he did have a little slight emergence again at Pebble when he finished third there. He's also third at the Saudi International but has missed his last two cuts. You know, Phil's kind of, he's very hit and miss right now, but he is edging towards his 50th birthday. Phil's trying to stay relevant at the highest level. Um, I think he's doing that more so by his social media accounts nowadays than what he is by his <laughs> golf, uh, yeah. which are interesting, unique, surreal, uh, quirky, I guess, um, which maybe underlines you know, Phil's almost becoming a parody of himself uh, on social media, which is uh, quite fun. But um, I, think he's, I think he's just about in on the joke, uh, but everyone else is certainly... But, yeah, we'll wait to see if Phil can possibly have a, a second win to his career um, and whether is he going to drift away uh, towards the Champions Tour. You know, eventually, Phil might end up thinking, well, I can't cut it out here anymore. I'll have to go and join Ernie and Bernhard and all the other guys in the Champions Tour. Uh, but he still believes he can play well, and uh, this is one golf course where he's played well before, and it would be a, a sign for him going into Augusta that, he can still be competitive at the highest level. And we haven't seen that enough of late. Um, obviously, a big year with the, with the U.S. Open coming up. He's still got to ensure he's going to be in that field at winged foot. Uh, and Phil doesn't want an invitation to that. He wants to qualify. But at world number 63 right now, uh, he needs to be careful because he's, he's still on the, the fringes of getting into that. So he's top 60 against the U.S. Open in June. So he has some work to do. As for those other guys, I mean, Hovland and Morikawa, obviously two very young players making their debut here this week. Um, again, unknown quantities, two fantastic talents, two players who I think will, will be hugely successful over the coming years. Um, it could be a, a real breakthrough for them if they play well here at Sawgrass. Ian Poulter, again, is a guy that seems to play well on difficult golf courses, of which this is one he actually rejuvenated his career at the Players' Championship a few years ago when he came from nowhere to finish second. I think that was behind Siwoo Kim. Um, so though he has played well on this course in recent times. 
you know, Graham McDowell has, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later on as well in the final putts, but Graham McDowell has, uh, you know, just had a renaissance of late. And again, he's a guy who plays well on tough courses, of which Sawgrass is a tough golf course. And again, it's not a golf course that necessarily rewards length. He fits into that KJ Choi, Fred Funk, you know, Tim Clark kind of archetype of player. The guys who just kind of get it around the course, hit fairways, hit greens, solid putters, they get it done. And McDowell's kind of having a, a second win to his career. Um, but obviously, it would be a huge thing if he could contend here at Sawgrass and would uh, put him right back in the conversation for a, a Ryder Cup place later this year. Jordan Spieth, I think, is a fascinating one where we're waiting for the real Jordan Spieth to really stand up again. We've seen flashes of him playing very well, uh, but there's so many mistakes in his game right now. And I feel, Fred, that this golf course is the kind of place that you get punished for your mistakes more than most. And for that reason, I don't see Spieth playing particularly well this week. I actually think Spieth, if Spieth's going to re-emerge, it might very well be at the Masters, uh, out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't see it being at Sawgrass. I think this golf course just um, it trips you up and uh, if you're not quite there. He's, he's hitting too many loose shots, I think, to uh, play well here over four rounds. Yeah, the Augusta would accommodate his poor driving uh, much better than TPC Sawgrass. Uh, of, of this group, I see Morikawa performing better on TPC Sawgrass than Hovland, yeah. if you just want to compare the young guys. But I do sure. like GMAC this week. He has been mm-hmm. progressing nicely. He's been kind of moving up, and this is the kind of golf course that he could do very well at. Um, yep. I don't think Phil Poulter or Spieth have a prayer this week, but uh, but it will be interesting to watch them. Um, there are some interesting uh, pairings. The, the groupings were announced. Uh, at 8.45, off number 10 on Thursday AM, you've got Justin Thomas, Ricky, and Jordan all playing together. And that's going to have a few eyeballs on it. Um, spring break again for them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right before them will be Webb Simpson, Dustin Johnson, and Phil. And right before that grooming at 8.13 is Patrick Reed, uh, Patrick Cantley, and Hideki Matsuyama with uh, M. Woodland and D. Chambeau uh, also calling off the course. So you've got uh, Reed and D. Chambeau going off early on Thursday after, or Thursday morning. Is that going to hold up the rest of the golf course? Well, quite possibly, and uh, I guess it's like it's a 2 T split there, but uh, actually one player you did mention there in that uh, grouping uh, that I think is worth mentioning in terms of being a potential dark horse is Sun J.M., who oh, yeah. is playing some fantastic golf right now. Uh, I think he's a wonderful player. I love watching him at the President's Cup at the end of last year. He's carrying that form into this season now, obviously, and uh, he's a guy who plays so much. I mean, he essentially lives out of a suitcase. He doesn't actually have a home, a house. He just, he just lives in hotels. He just travels to every single event and plays endlessly. Um, so he is someone who can actually carry momentum from his recent very good form, obviously winning and then finishing uh, strongly at Bay Hill as well. Uh, I see him uh, as being a potential contender because he's a, a really strong all-round player, doesn't make many mistakes, and he's shown on these water-filled Florida golf courses that his game is suited to that environment. And if the conditions get a little bit difficult this weekend and the, the greens firm up, which they always do at Sawgrass, uh, some of the conditions allow that, of course, uh, but they typically do, 
uh, it gets harder as it goes along. And I think Sunjay M could be a potential surprise uh, contender and may very well follow in the footsteps of uh, Siwoo Kim and KJ Choi and uh, win it for uh, South Korea. Um, you mentioned earlier in the broadcast tonight uh, about every shot. And uh, this will be, the 2020 players will be the kind of rollout for that, the, uh, the introduction um, you know, major professional sports teams uh, have every play archived. I mean, you can play it back, slow-mo, whatever you want to do. You, every play is there. They play it back uh, endlessly. Um, last year during the 2019 Players' Championship, 144 players completed 437 rounds and hit 31,251 shots. Starting this year, every shot will now be available – at the players, streamed only to PGA Tour Live subscribers on NBC Sports Gold. I saw no reason to get NBC Sports Gold in the past. I may have to rethink that uh, because maybe if you want to go back and watch a certain player, you may want to go back and, and see their round for whatever reason. Um, wouldn't it be great to go back and watch every shot of Jack Nicklaus's from the 86 Masters? Uh, mm. wouldn't, that be, wouldn't that be fun? Um, fans will be able to pick a group and watch every shot for 18 holes. If the Golf Channel or NBC broadcast missed the first few holes or the last few holes, you can go back and pick them up. You can fill in that gap. So um, you, you mentioned it briefly. you have any other comments on this every shot thing? I, I found this uh, quite curious, actually. Again, I, I think it's the future because, I mean, Obviously, we look at PGA Tour live coverage that you get. Typically, uh, Thursday, Friday, you see the featured groups, and that's it. And people always complain, why is this player not on it? Why can't I watch this guy? Uh, and again, having that opportunity to be able to follow players, your favorite players, closely, shot by shot, is fascinating. If you're someone who actually likes to analyze a game, it's fun too, because I think it's somebody, I think it's actually Max Homer on Twitter described it so wonderfully, was you watch golf on TV, you only see the good shots, really, or the ones that matter. You don't see the guys who are struggling. That shows you how hard the game actually is uh, and how even for the top players, they, they, they struggle too. This gives you a chance to see that. And I thought the Masters last year, when they had the Every Shot uh, platform on their website and their digital uh, outlets, I thought that was a fantastic way to enhance the experience of following the Masters where you could see the scores and then see how they were made it gave you a great insight of how different guys were playing, how the golf course was looking, what conditions were like, where the pins were, and it just really enhanced the experience. And having this potentially in your hand, in your phone, wherever you are, traveling, you're commuting, whatever it might be, uh, it's, a, it's a way of, it's, it's, it's the future. And uh, I think the Players' Championship, given its iconic nature, given the, the strength of the field, it's the ideal, and how popular and how well-known the golf course is, it's the ideal stage uh, to unveil this new service. Um, unless you got any further comments, I think we're going to wrap up our players' coverage. You got anything else you want to end with before we get out of here? Well, just quickly, just I know, I know we kind of joked about the major thing, uh, but I think actually, a serious point, I actually think the players' championship is better suited not being a major, because if it was a major, it would be the weakest of the majors. But because it's not a major, it's the strongest regular tour event of the year. And I actually think that is in itself quite a special 
status to have. Not every event has to be a major. I mean, I think the LPGA Tour has made mistakes in the past by changing majors and adding new events and dropping others and so on. I think history does matter. But the Players' Championship has a very unique place in the calendar and in our minds. And I think that's something that, on its own, has its own entity, is, in a strange way, I think its brand is quite distinctive. And that is actually strengthened by the fact that it's not lumped in with uh, four other majors. So I actually think the Players is the biggest non-major event of the year. And I actually think that that suits it quite well. Yeah, you make a good point. The four majors, they are the clear, you know, big events in golf for sure. Then you have the players, which is just a, a step below or even a horizontal step, if you if you want to say that. Yeah. Uh, the WGCs and then the Arnold Palmer and even Harley, that not so much anymore. Uh, the Memorial and the Genesis now, uh, those are the, the next three big regular uh, tour events, and then everything else, or the, the WGCs, WGCs, and then everything else just kind of falls in somewhere below that. So uh, there is a status or a ranking uh, of that, and you're right. It's it's the best of the uh, non-majors. That's I guess that's a, a good way to say it right there. It, it is a big event. It stands by itself. The PGA Tour has done a great job of isolating every other event. There's nothing else going on this weekend. This is like their annual meeting, their premier event. This is the tour's deal. So, uh, and they've done a good job uh, captivating that. Um, with that, we wrap up our practice range segment, our coverage of the Players' Championship. We hope you enjoyed that and can garner something there. If you're going to make some wagers this week, we hope that we help you out. If not, too bad. Better keep your money in your pocket. Um, <laughs> let's, let's slip on into – got about uh, six minutes left here, so let's slip into the uh, final putts. Um, Kieran, I'll give you the tee shot. Yes, indeed, and we mentioned them earlier on as a potential outside contender at Sawgrass, but uh, Graham McDill was recently given a, a rare honour, and no, it was not the Presidential Medal of Freedom, although I think he actually deserves that. If anyone else does, <laughs> he should get it, but no. But uh, he was named the European Tour Player of the Month for February, and as you may recall, uh, Mac he won the, uh, the Saudi International uh, back in February, which was his 11th uh, victory on the European Tour, and he had uh, it's a public vote, and he had 51% of the vote uh, to be named Player of the Month, so a nice little accolade for him. And it was, as we touched on earlier, you know, a part of a continuing renaissance in his career. Uh, that win got him back into the world's top 50, uh, which was the first time for a long time. Actually, if you go back just a year ago, he was ranked 257th in the world, so it's been a real improvement, over 200 places in less than a year. Uh, and it's got him right back into the conversation in terms of majors, big events, and who knows, there might very well be another Ryder Cup appearance for him uh, later this year, having been a vice-captain uh, last time out. So Graham McDowell is uh, rolling back the years, and he's now getting the accolades uh, to reflect that. And, sorry, in terms of one player who is um, not playing right now, but is moving into other ventures, Fred, is Michelle Wee, who we've obviously the last few years for her have been defined by injury and comebacks and then more injuries and failing to get back to her best. And But her life has changed a great deal uh, within the past year, even less than that. Um, she took a leave from competitive golf to nurse these injuries. Uh, but she, she's been busy away from the golf course. Uh, she got married. Uh, she turned 30. 
and uh, she'll welcome her first child uh, later this year in the summer. Um, so there's an awful lot to look forward to in the life of Michelle Wee, away from the golf course, but she's not walking away from the game at all. She still wants to come back and play, but until that day comes, she's going to start working uh, for the Golf Channel, starting with the Players' Championship this week. Uh, she'll be a contributing analyst on Golf Central's uh, Live From programme that you'll see throughout the week. And she's also set to work at the PGA Championship and the Ryder Cup for Golf Channel as part of that Live From, you know, all day long, analysing all the events and go delving into the real deep topics, much like what we do here, but clearly much more insightfully than what we do. But um, <laughs> but we is also uh, not... Uh, this is, isn't her first time appearing in front of the camera for Golf Channel. She did it last year, I think, at the, uh, the Solheim Cup and the, the Ryder Cup as well, I think the year before that, or was it somewhere else? She's, she has been on TV before, and she will be on TV elsewhere as well. Uh, she, she'll be working at the Masters uh, for CBS as one of their contributors uh, next month. So uh, Michelle Wee is moving into the uh, the realms of broadcasting. Uh, I say I, I haven't seen her on TV, so I don't know how she's going to... Uh, embrace that side of it, how well she'll do in that environment, but uh, she's obviously a a superstar player for the LPGA for such a long time now. It's amazing that she's only just turned 30. It underlines just how long she's been around, how long she's been in the spotlight since she was more or less a child. And, you know, now she's uh, having a great life away from the the game, and that's actually awesome. Something I've admired about her is, despite the attention and the the almost unhealthy level of uh, spotlight that was on her at a young age, she was still able to have a regular life in terms of getting a college degree, having all her friends and having a social life, and now she's married and going to have her first child. So all credit to Michelle Wee, and uh, so you'll see her on TV this week, uh, behind the desk rather than on the golf course, and uh, let's hope she uh, does well and makes a great success of it. Uh, there was a little news item this week that the uh, PGA Tour Policy Board opened up the Corn Ferry Tour to some selected college players. They're going to give some selected starts to some top college players to give them a feel for professional golf and life on the Corn Ferry Tour. So I kind of like that idea. It's kind of like an intern program. I, I kind of like that. I think it's a great idea. So I'm going to watch for that as that goes along. Um, Kieran, to wrap up here tonight, I want to mention that the March issue of the Ohio Golf Journal will be out uh, this week, whether it's tomorrow or Thursday morning. I'm not quite sure yet. We had a little problem getting everything back from the designer. Uh, plus, we just put up a new video interview with uh, Neil Frazier, the head professional at the Lakewood Golf Club in Fairhope, Alabama, a stop on the RTJ, the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail. Um, Niall, Neil talks about the uh, renovations the two courses at Lakewood, the U.S. Senior Women's Amateur that's coming there in September, and uh, Magnolia Grove, another Robert Trent Jones resort on the western side of Mobile Bay that features two 18-hole golf courses plus a wonderful par three and has hosted an LPGA tour stop in the past. Check out all those videos at Back9Report.com and also Back9ReportTV on Roku. We want to thank our European golf guru, Kieran Clark, for filling in tonight, adding so much as always. Thank you. Kieran, thank you, thank you so much, man, for being here. Pleasure. And I look forward to being on next time, hopefully, uh, for the Masters, which is just around the corner. So, yeah, much to look forward to. Won't be long. You'll be on all summer long, just like always. And uh, we want to urge everyone to uh, go to golf, uh, OhioGolfJournal.com, register for the uh, golf giveaway to uh, French Lick. And as always, we want you to be happy, be blessed, enjoy golf, get out and uh, beat the golf ball around a little bit. It'll be good for your soul. So 
I hope you have a great week, everyone. We'll be back here again next Tuesday. We'll talk about uh, who who did well and who stunk it up at the players and what's coming up next in golf. So good night, everybody. Until next time.